morning, church. What a wonderful morning it is. This is a picture of baby, baby Avery. Uh, she, she is our first granddaughter. Uh, I love the alls, yes. And Nana, as she is called by our grandchildren, is going to read our passage today. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say, you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now... I consider them worthless because of what Christ Jesus has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Donna. We are currently in a verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Philippians in a series entitled, Different Like Jesus. And we'll see in our study today that faith changes everything. As Donna read our passage today, we heard that word faith three times. First in the first verse, where it says, I do it to safeguard your faith. And then in verse 9, it says, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. So by taking a quick look, we can already see how important this word faith is. Faith is what makes us right with God. Our very standing with God depends on faith. So it's important. So let's begin our study today by taking an in-depth look at this word faith by exploring the differences between belief and faith. 
Those two words, belief and faith, are they're somewhat similar. They, they certainly are related. But there are some differences between belief and faith. They are more like cousins than they are like identical twins. Belief is on the pathway to faith, but faith is so much more than belief. And belief in our English, English dictionary is the acceptance, and, and note the weaker word acceptance here. Belief is the acceptance that a statement is true or that something exists. Whereas faith in our English dictionary is complete confidence in someone or something. So much so that it causes a person to act. So much so that it causes a change in that person's life. Now, now we know that Bible has been translated from Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And, and, and so we have to understand that believe in the original language can have different shades of meaning. Sometimes in the Bible it means that you believe a statement to be true, and that's our English version. Whereas other times when you see believe in the Bible, it does mean a definite commitment of one's very soul. And that's much more like our English word faith. But in, it is in these nuances that we see a clear distinction. It is important for us to see the difference between a passive belief and an active faith. I've heard the difference between a passive belief and an active faith illustrated like this. Almost everybody here in the auditorium believes that you can jump out of a plane with a parachute. You pull the ripcord and the parachute will open and this allows you to land safely. How many of you believe that that can happen? Okay, yeah, so we all believe that. However, believing that and actually going up into a plane and actually jumping out of a plane yourself is more faith than just something you believe to be true. And I've asked for a hero of mine to come and tell us what it's like to jump, uh, uh, to use a parachute to jump out of a plane. Bruce, would you come forward, please? Bruce was the sheriff of Lebanon County for many years. And he was also a part of the 173 Airborne Company during the Vietnam War. Yes, give, give Bruce another warm welcome. So Bruce, how many times have you parachuted out of a plane? I made 19 Army parachute jumps. Okay. I imagine uh, that takes a lot of confidence, doesn't it? It does. Takes faith, doesn't it? It does. And you told me there were four things that gave you the confidence to jump out of the plane. You said training, riggers, and jump masters. Would you explain those first three? Uh, the first thing, training. I, I had faith in the training that I was given. And if I followed that training, I had faith that my jumps would be safe, that I would make a good parachute jump and make it to the ground safely. Uh, secondly, the parachute. When I would go to get my parachute, I had to have faith in what was known as the rigger. The rigger's job in the United States Army is to pack the chute. So I didn't, I wouldn't go to a rigger, I would just get the chute off of a pile of parachutes. I put it on, but I had to have faith that whatever chute I took off of that pile was going to open. So I had faith in the rigor. Thirdly, I had faith 
in the Jumpmaster. In every aircraft, there is one paratrooper, usually a senior guy, who is the Jumpmaster. And it's his job to make sure that every jumper exits the plane safely and being done the way that it's supposed to be so that the whole plane could be uh, exited right over the drop zone. So I had to have faith in the Jumpmaster. I, I told Pastor David uh, during the Vietnam War, one of the most popular, a lot, of, a lot of soldiers would get tattoos on their arms. And one of the most popular tattoo was to have on your arm, God is my Jumpmaster. God is in charge up there in that aircraft. The last thing that I, I wanted, wanted to talk about quickly was that before every jump, you have time. You're up in the plane sometimes for an hour or two, maybe a little bit longer. But before every jump, you have time. You have time to sit there and think. And I would pray. I prayed to God that I and all the fellow jumpers that were with me in that plane would make a safe exit and that each and every soldier's parachute would open so that we'd all get on the ground and complete our mission as we were taught to do. But I had to have faith in my God. If I did not or could not have had that faith, I would have never made it out the door one time. Thank you, Bruce. Give me hope. Faith is so important, even more important than training, even more important than riggers and jump masters. You know, faith calls us to action. And the Bible has so many illustrations of this. Noah spent over 100 years building the ark even though he had never, ever seen rain. And why? Because he had faith in God. He had faith in what God told him. And can you imagine spending over 100 years building a big boat on dry land and you've never seen rain? Noah built the ark because he had faith in God. David fought the giant Goliath because he had faith that God would deliver him. He put his faith on the line. And while all the soldiers were cowering, this shepherd boy stepped out onto the battlefield in faith. I'm sure many of the soldiers in the army believed that there was a God. But David put his faith into action because his faith was far greater than simply believing there is a God. Abraham, a man that we're going to talk about several times today, had faith to leave his home and country and to travel to, honestly, he didn't know where. But he left his home because God told him to leave. His faith in God moved him to action and literally moved his home, and, and his home to a foreign country. James really clarifies the shades of belief and faith. And he also gives us yet another illustration of Abraham's faith in James chapter 2. Here's what it says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food and clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day. 
stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give them that, you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see faith and think belief here by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there, you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. They tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions, they worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Faith causes us to change. Faith calls us to action. You may believe there is a God. You may believe that the Bible is God's word. But an act of faith in Jesus changes everything. True faith begins a process that starts changing or transforming us to become more and more like Jesus. If you're a believer here today, if you have faith in Jesus, then you should be becoming different like Jesus. And I know there are various levels of change. We're all at various points in our journey. But if you truly have faith in Jesus, then you should truly be becoming different like Jesus. And if you're not different because of your faith in Jesus, if your faith has not changed you, then maybe you should make sure that you actually have transforming faith and not just a passive belief. Only you can know that for sure, but that doesn't seem like true faith to me if it hasn't changed you at all. Please understand that a person's faith is not simply saying the sinner's prayer and then somehow by saying that prayer, somehow they are saved to the new life. No, it is true faith in who Jesus is and what he's done and not just the prayer that saves us. It's faith in what that prayer is all about. And Jesus as the Son of God and his sacrificial death on the cross. This faith is a life-changing faith. So if you can honestly say that you're really not different since encountering Jesus, then let me say this with all love and kindness and concern. As I view the scriptures, please take a closer look at whether you have true faith or not. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of the, my Father in heaven will enter. Those are Jesus' words. So it's not just calling out the name of Jesus. It's actually doing what Jesus tells us to do. Faith without works is dead. Now it's not, oh, please understand. It's not that works saves you. 
You know, we're going to see in our passage today that Paul says that a works-based salvation is worthless. Worthless. But it is our works that proves that our faith is real and more than just passing, passively believing that something is true. Now again, let me emphasize and be careful to emphasize that it is a journey for sure. It is a process. We all stumble. We're, we're all imperfect, right? We all have periods of time in our lives where we struggle. But we should hopefully be becoming more Christ-like on a consistent basis. Yes, we're human. <laughs> yes, we mess up. But the question we all need to answer this morning is, are we becoming more different like Jesus? More Christ-like. So with that in mind, let's examine what being different like Jesus looks like. Some of those characteristics. Let's go back to today's text. And right away we find a concept, rejoice whatever happens, that Paul teaches throughout the book of Philippians. A concept that is indeed very different. Different like we've been talking about. It's a concept that is very foreign to those who are not in Jesus. And also a concept that on the surface appears to not make a lot of sense. And honestly, sometimes it doesn't even make a lot of sense to us who have faith because of our misconception of this word rejoice. You know, but this concept, this attitude is a characteristic of our faith. A faith that makes us more Christ-like, makes us different like Jesus. And here's the concept. Faith changes our attitude. Verse 1 says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Wow. Whatever happens? That's pretty all-encompassing, right? Whatever happens? That takes in everything, doesn't it? You know, this seems like an impossible task, especially if we're grieving a great loss or devastated by some circumstance in our lives. And so rejoicing in every circumstance seems impossible because we don't understand the true meaning of this word rejoice. Most of us associate the word rejoice with the word happiness. But happiness is a feeling that is usually associated with our circumstances. And so if we relate rejoicing to happiness, then we can think that rejoicing is dancing around and being all giddy because something wonderful has happened. But that is not the definition of rejoice in the Bible. Kelly Vanderwood said this about rejoicing. We rejoice in the Lord despite our circumstances because rejoicing in God means that we take delight in Him and not our circumstances. It means we're comforted by His name and His presence. It means that despite what I'm going through, I know that I'm loved, cared for, and watched over. Delighting in God means that despite the chaos and storm in my life, my beloved Lord is my peace and comfort. Rejoicing in the Lord means that while I cannot seem to get out of this storm, God is above it and outside of it. That He is not consumed by it, and yet He is near to me and in the midst of it with me. Rejoicing in the Lord simply means putting joy in His name, work, and being. Because rejoicing is in God. We thus can delight while in sorrow. We can declare that sorrow will not win. God does. 
We can rejoice and delight in God because his work upon the cross means that relationships will be restored and that cancer will not win. So because of our faith in Jesus, because we have faith in Jesus, we can know and we can trust him because we know that he cares about us, because we know he has promised to never leave us, because he has promised to be with us always, because we know that Jesus cares about us and he knows every detail of our lives. And because he can use any circumstance in our lives to grow us. And because he uses these circumstances to bring glory to his name when we have faith in him. Then we can rejoice in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. Yes, we can rejoice and take delight in the Lord no matter what happens. You see, faith in Jesus changes everything, especially our attitude. Paul says this in the second part of verse 1. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. So again, you see, faith is connected to our attitudes. I'm telling you to rejoice in the Lord in every situation in order to safeguard your faith because oftentimes those monumental, life-changing, life-altering circumstances are foundational in whether a person either walks away from their faith or chooses to delight in the Lord and thus actually growing growing in their faith. That is, in fact, the foundational choice we have every day and in every circumstance. We can choose to hope through faith or we can choose despair, which is not faith. Oftentimes we see people crushed by their circumstance and disillusioned from God. Someone dies, your business fails, you get that dreaded diagnosis. Some tragedy or another happens, and we are faced with a choice. We can remain in despair, or we can choose hope. And, and please be careful to understand that I said remain in despair, because it's natural to have feelings of despair. I'm not saying that this choice is instantaneous, because most of the time it's a process. But make no mistake, if you don't over time choose to rejoice in the Lord, whatever happens, then your faith is being eroded. And it could even be destroyed. Paul told the Philippians to rejoice in every situation in order to safeguard your faith. Either you believe that God is in control and that he's a good God, that he loves you, and he's promised to be with you always, and that he will use all these things to work together for good for those who love him, or you remain in despair. The rejoice in the Lord in every situation is more than a passive belief. This rejoicing is called an active faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith means putting our full confidence in the things, our, by the way, our full confidence and the things we hope for, it means being certain of the things we cannot see. If we have faith, we can never stay in despair. Because of faith, we can take the light in God and not our circumstances. 
because we know we can trust God. As Job said, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Why? Because if he slays me, then I'll be in heaven, right? So I don't need to stay in despair because I have faith in Jesus and that changes me. You know what? That changes my attitude. Faith also changes our perspective. Let's look at verse 2. This next verse is so interesting on so many levels. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Paul must have been a cat person, right? Because I don't think he's using dogs here as a compliment. How about it, huh? We dog people, that, that's a little offensive to me. <laughs> Truthfully, he used it as a derogatory term to refer to people at this time who were trying to lead the Philippian believers astray, telling them to put faith in religion, to put faith in religious practice instead of Jesus. These people wanted the Philippians to put faith in their own works. And a symbol, honestly. It's similar to what we talked about earlier, putting faith in a prayer or a chant rather than putting faith in Jesus. And these people doing evil wanted the Philippian Christians to be circumcised. They were adding something onto the gospel. Circumcision, well, that takes some uncomfortable explaining. You know, this is a verse-by-verse -verse study, and the word circumcision is used often in the Bible. So we need to see why this seemingly odd symbolism is so important. And honestly, we just need to talk about it openly. And in order to do that, we have to look at the history of circumcision. Circumcision in the Bible started with Abraham. Remember, we mentioned him earlier. Abraham is a hero of what we're talking about today, faith in God. He trusted God and left his home. Why did he leave his home in native country? Well, it was to become the father of the nation of Israel. And if you have any knowledge of the scriptures at all, you understand that Israel is a special nation because they are God's chosen people. And what's chosen about them? They are the people that he chose to bring about redemption to the world to. The nation through whom God would send his son, Jesus. God made a covenant, a spiritual promise to Abraham that his descendants would number uh, as many as the stars in the sky. And through his seed, the Redeemer Jesus would save the world. You know, as a part of this covenant, the foreskin of the seed maker, Abraham, was cut off, was circumcised. The foreskin at that time could cause men to suffer when there was a lack of cleanliness. And so it was removed as a part of this covenant with Abraham, as a picture of this future promise. It was removed by a sacrifice in a bloody, painful way. Thus it was a picture of the seed that was going to come out of Abraham and out of his descendants. And this seed, this descendant, Jesus, would die a bloody and brutal death for the world's lack of purity, for the world's sins. So it was a picture. Circumcision didn't save anyone. Faith in the Messiah that was to come from Abraham's seed did. And now in New Testament times, it was faith in the Messiah who has come. Faith in Jesus alone. Paul goes on to say in verse 3, 
For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. And you'll see other Bible verses referring to a circumcised heart, a heart that is clean because of our Redeemer Jesus. And verse 3 goes on to say, we rely on what Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So faith in Jesus changes your perspective. It's not about a religious ritual. It's about circumcision of the heart. It's about spiritual transformation. God cuts away our old life, our old desires, through what Jesus has done for us. You see, Jesus had already come, rendering this ritual useless. They missed the point altogether. So it's not our human efforts of trying to do good or trying to be religious. In fact, Paul says that nobody has ever been more religious than him. Look at verse 4. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Oh, wow, what a portfolio. What a resume. But Paul realized that he was putting faith in the wrong things. He realized that he had a wrong perspective. It wasn't about putting faith in the family he was born into or how religious he was or even the zealous things that he had done because all of these things were not in Jesus. He once said, I once... He says in verse 7, he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Faith in Jesus changed Paul's perspective. Paul used to think striving to live a near-perfect life, trying to do things in his own strengths, was righteousness. However, his own way was completely worthless when compared to simply placing his faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. My friend, Pastor Josh. Everybody welcome Pastor Josh back. He's here today, right? Over there, yeah. Back from the sabbatical. My friend, Pastor Josh, shared with me what the Greek term here for garbage is. And I'm going to be using this a lot now in the future. Uh, skabala. Skabala is a crass, unsavory word that means excrement. Crap. Blame him. Blame Josh, okay? <laughs> All right? And, and Paul uses this word to convey the depths of his disgust at a works-based salvation. Paul stopped striving and started changing, transforming because of his faith in Christ. And this faith in Christ changed or transformed his perspective. I used to think these things were important, and now I realize that only my relationship, my living, breathing, daily relationship with Jesus is the only important thing. 
Paul's perspective changed. He now sees the infinite value of knowing Jesus more and more. Paul looks back at his old life and is disgusted by his efforts to build a kingdom of self-righteousness instead of humbly accepting God's redeeming grace and allowing this grace to transform him. Because when we truly understand the grace that God gives us, it makes us want to change. Paul says, I became a changed person. I live differently because of my complete confidence in Christ. For faith is God's way of making us right. And this faith brings us into a process that over time transforms us to be different like Jesus. Faith in Jesus changes everything. How has faith in Jesus changed you? What are you counting on for your salvation? What are you living for? What do you value? Verse 8 is especially convicting to me. Everything else compares and compels in comparison. Everything else is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We should love Jesus so much that everything else pales in comparison. Our last verses today talk about how faith changes our focus. Faith changes our focus. Verse 10 says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection of the dead. When we have faith in Jesus, it changes our focus. We become a student of Christ. We want to know him more and more. We want to focus our lives on him more and more. Faith changes our focus. And when we focus on knowing Jesus Christ, when we experience the mighty power that raised Jesus from, a dead, from the dead, a power, a power that is so great that it conquers death, you know, again, how do we experience that power? By knowing Jesus more and more. By asking Jesus to grow our faith. By crying out to God to change us. Crying out to God to transform us should be a part of our daily prayers. Lord Jesus, grow my faith. Lord Jesus, transform me. Make me more and more like you today. The Bible says we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but we are made alive through faith in Christ. Faith in Christ transforms us. And this faith in Jesus begins the process of making us new people. And the Bible says that in this transformational process, behold, everything becomes new. So with this focus of knowing Christ more and more, we experience mighty power. Mighty power to change, to transform. And as we look at the rest of that verse, we will see that our focus is no longer about how we can make our lives easier. We know that living a transformed life is going to take us down some difficult paths. We have to understand that we will suffer with him. But instead of our suffering being meaningless, we know that our suffering can grow our relationship with Jesus. Just as Jesus' sacrifice life change, changes us, transforms us, and changes our focus, our suffering with him also transforms us and changes our focus. I like to say, 
Don't waste your pain. Use it to grow. And here is the really cool thing. Ultimately, a part of this focus is experiencing a transformational resurrection from the dead, both spiritually, but also one day physically. And so our focus, it shifts from the things of this world, and it changes to the process of sharing in his death. And not only being spiritually resurrected, but our, fo our focus also looks forward to one day literally being physically resurrected from the dead. So because of our faith in Jesus, and because of experiencing his resurrection from the dead, we get to gloriously spend eternity with Jesus in heaven forever and ever. So as the worship team comes forward, it is my prayer that faith in Jesus will transform my life. It is my prayer that faith in Jesus will transform your life. And that we will experience the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. Let's worship God now and sing about that mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. How many of you believe that power lives in us? Raise your hand. Wonderful. Hey, would you make a commitment? I, I, not that you might not miss. Would you make a commitment with me to pray every day this next week? God, change me. God, transform me. Make me more and more like you. Continue to change me. Continue to transform me. Would you do that? Would you, would you yes. be willing to do that? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's do that. Let's live a transformed life for Jesus. It's different. It's great, by the way. It's wonderful when you're in him. There's nothing better. Lord, help us to live lives that are truly transformed. Not just let life happen to us, but live a life that lives in the power of the resurrected Christ. And I pray that that power will transform us to impact this community and impact our families, impact our marriages, impact everything around us, where we work, because your transformed power lives in us. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.